Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in on a little bit of everything with me, and I am your host, Angelica. This is a podcast that talks about a little bit of everything, so sit back and enjoy the show. I really want people to be empowered and inspired by their education experience as opposed to not getting the things that they need to really thrive and discover how they want to make an impact. So just listening, listening to those stories, reflecting on how much I read as a kid and wanting to have a piece of literature, you know, that other kids could put in their hands and feel inspired by. That is definitely something that motivates me. everyone and welcome back to another episode of a little bit of everything with me today my guest is a writer award-winning poet activist public speaker and the author of unleashing your innovative genius high school redesign welcome deborah to the show how are you doing today i'm doing great angelica thank you so much for having me well thank you because you are doing so many things. So tell the listeners who you are and what you do. Of course. Yeah. So like you said, my name is Deborah Oltunji. I'm a writer from Delaware. I recently just published a book in February and my whole one-liner that I always like starting conversations with is that, you know, I'm an unstoppable creator who listens carefully and then empowers the people that I meet, the people that I network with, and the people in my circle to collaborate so that they can grow together and grow the agency and aspirations that they have in the different projects that they're pursuing. I'm all about, you know, empowering people to understand that if there is something that you want to pursue, there's a way to do it. Kind of like Mary Forleo's philosophy. This is one of my favorite books everything is figure outable. I definitely believe that. And it's a philosophy that I use in my own life. So with the book, I'm very excited to see the reach that it's gotten. We have gone global, which is really fun, even in the midst of this pandemic. And so I'm really excited for the conversation that we're going to have today. Um, A little bit of everything about, you know, all the things that I do and all the things that your listeners can do after listening. For sure. And the one thing I want to highlight is that the fact that you said empower, empower people. And that's one of the biggest things here. Like all my guests have this amazing message to empower people, um, inspire and really motivate others. And during this time, of course, we don't know what's, what's going to be tomorrow. We don't know what's going to be next week or the week later. And after that, but how did you become a writer like was it a passion when you were a child was it something that you know you develop it you know a couple of years ago how did it all happen so I think the first I think I'd pinpoint my beginning to poetry that was my first kind of writing that I got into in the eighth grade my teacher I absolutely love that woman she taught us about how you know you can use these different forms of poems whether it's a sonnet a soliloquy um a haiku to you know talk about how you feel about something to talk about different events and she challenged us to create our own poetry books it had to be this there were certain numbers of poems that we had to have in the book but i absolutely went crazy about this project and i ended up having over 80 poems in this book and then i wrote a poem about every single person in my class and there were 30 people in my class and we were that close-knit of a community of poets that i felt like there was something to be said 12 lines exactly for each and every single person and so that was definitely my beginning in terms of poetry because 
she taught me like, you know, no matter what you put down on paper, it's not something that you should just throw away or, you know, there's always material that can be worked through, revised and edited. And that's exactly what I did with this first creation of poems. And um, from that poetry book, you know, I went to high school, did different English classes, and I actually started to hate English a little bit <laughs> freshman year. Um, but it's definitely a story that I tell in my book as well. But the, the class wasn't as interactive. It wasn't a, as project-based. And the thing about me is I'm all about experiential learning. If it's not something that I can put together, if it's not something hands-on, then it's not the most impactful to my learning experience. So I'm all about, you know, experiencing the thing rather than being told to do it or rather than reading about it because I feel like it's, it means so much more to me when I'm a part of the process as opposed to, to just sitting off at the sidelines. And so after that, I engaged in a poetry contest in the 10th grade, and it was a poem on MLK's Martin Luther King Jr.'s legacy. And that was when I discovered the kind of poetry that I really, really, really like. And it's just a historical, you know, poem that is a parallel to my life and the person that I'm talking about. And that one poem, it was called I Am. It just transformed the way that I saw poetry, especially since it was spoken word this time. And it was a contest. So I had to compete and I ended up winning third place, but I didn't want to stop there. You know, the way the competition works, you could compete again if you didn't get first the next year. And so I came back, I wrote a second piece called Colorblind. It's also in the book about Martin Luther King Jr. And then mainly about the, the kind of difficulties that are happening now in the present times and paralleling, I mean, making a parallel to that and the things that were happening then. And I ended up winning first place for that piece. So that poetry contest ultimately transformed me. Poetry was my first kind of writing. I definitely fell in love with it from that point. And so, you know, I won first place, so I couldn't compete again. So I wanted to engage in different forms of writing. And so that's when I started writing my first book, junior year, and I finished it this well, last December, and then it published in February, like I said. Wow, wow, wow. So you wrote a line of poetry for 30 people in your class. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy, but that's so, like, it's like your mind knows how to do it, and it's a fantastic, like, coming from somebody who has a learning disability, by the way, and struggled through English and math, which is obviously the major subjects that you need, but, like, I'm just blown away that the fact that you developed this passion and you really, you know, you took it and you made it your own. And this poem that you went for, like, that was called I Am, I, I, I'm excited to actually, you know, read it if you don't mind sending it to me after. But holy crap, like, I can, you know, really hear it in your voice that you do have a passion for poetry and all that. And how, what else motivates you? Is it the fact that you get to create something? Is it something that you, you know, people that you look up to? Like, what is it that keeps you motivated? I think in terms of my own writing, when the thing that always reminds me whenever I'm trying to get motivation is how vocariously I read as a sixth grader. I, I couldn't tell you how many books I read in middle school because I read so many. And I remember at one point when I was, I think I was 12 years old, someone asked me that, that age old question, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I literally wrote down 12 different things that I could see myself doing. And being an author was on there. And so I don't, I can't find the list. I don't know where it is now, but it'd be great if I could. <laughs> and, um, I always think of that list. I always think back of some of the things that I can remember. I think a coach was on there, a professor was on there, but an author was definitely something that I said, you know, what if I could pursue this right now? And it, you know, it aligned with some of the 
messages that I was trying to get across with um, my organization and how I really want people to be empowered and inspired by their education experience as opposed to not getting the things that they need to really thrive and discover how they want to make an impact. So just listening, listening to those stories, reflecting on how much I read as a kid and wanting to have a piece of literature, you know, that other kids could put in their hands and feel inspired by. That is definitely something that motivates me. And of course, you're motivating me as well, because like you said, you have such a passion and such a love for writing that, and I can really, like I said, I can hear it from you and how you carry yourself and with this topic you're just like you're immersed into it and it's fantastic and that's how other people will get motivated it doesn't matter how young they are or how old they are you definitely are able to motivate anybody with that passion that you have yes that's definitely the goal in terms of dispelling the idea that you have to be a certain age to do something because i feel like if you have the passion and drive to do it do it and i always say to my friends no matter how old they are um late is better than never mm-hmm if you want to do something, you don't give yourself, you don't set yourself to the society's timeline of when things should be done. You do them when you feel passionate about it, when you feel this is the right time for me, regardless of what society has to say about that timeline that everyone is racing to, to get married and whatnot. Like I'm 17 and I already know about it. <laughs> <laughs> now you definitely focus on your goals. You focus on what you want to accomplish and then everything just falls into place after that's how it happens. And you know, some people don't think of it that way, which is okay, but you're doing the right thing. And you know, I want to know how you got into public speaking and were you ever shy? What was that one thing that you had to do? Cause I'm, I, I remember in high school, you had to do so many presentations. And when I got into college to do architecture, I was just like, Oh crap. My whole life is presentations, presenting these floor plans, presenting this project, presenting to clients and stuff. And I'm just like, is this going to be for me? So tell me your experience with public speaking. So because I started off with, spoken word poetry having that experience on stage and it was only I think eight minutes long it just felt I was definitely scared no doubt <laughs> I was so scared I remember the first year that I competed I was such a mess and I was the youngest person there the youngest I was a sophomore competing with juniors and seniors and I remember we were all in the waiter room together which I personally thought was not a good idea because my nerves were going rampant and there were people in the room who were just like you know third place wouldn't be that bad and then they're like but we didn't really want that and they were just they were making a lot of comments that I wouldn't have made if I was in a room by myself. So having my own racing thoughts with their racing thoughts out loud wasn't a good combination. <laughs> and so when I had that first experience on stage and it was just, it was really dark, I remember. And I was on stage and I was just, you know, saying my poem. It was from memory and everything. And um, I remember standing there and thinking to myself before I walked off, this is such an incredible position to be in, you know, having a platform to share my truth, to motivate others. And then the real, the real motivator for me at the end was when people came up to me and they were just, it was mainly people who had lived in the 60s, like during that time period when Martin Luther King Jr. was alive. And then people now who are, you know, going through gun violence in their own families or have lost a family member because of, you know, the different racial tensions that happen when you're black in America. They just came up to me at the end and they were just like, you were so powerful up there and you give me so much hope about this generation and how we're going to tackle, you know, this issue. And I love how you have used this piece to just tell a story and you just had us all engrossed in it. And from hearing that, hearing that, especially from someone who lived in the time period that I was giving a poem about, that was what struck it for me. I was just like, no matter what nerves I have, no matter what, you know, tension that I feel before I go on stage, as long as one person is impacted 
enough for me to know that this is definitely a place that I need to be and this is a message that I need to be sharing no matter how nervous I get or no matter how anxious I am about you know how are people going to receive this how are they going to react as long as there's at least one person who's going to be touched by the message that's good enough for me that's exactly right and 100% I agree with you now with public speaking you're also an activist um how did that come about so my first rally was a actually a period advocacy rally with my friend Mm -hmm. (laughs) this past fall but I started an advocacy in 2018 at a program called dual school and it was the thing that I don't understand before I go into that, the thing about education reform, and that's the domain of activism that I'm mainly in, is that whenever you are talking about programs that are doing education right, in my opinion, in terms of you know experiential learning, letting kids be the ones that drive the way they ideate and how they understand the world, a lot of people call them alternative forms of education and you know these radical um, forms of letting people engage with what they're truly interested in. But what I find as an activist is that this is the kind of education that I see for the world. Like, being able to study what you want and what you're interested in is the model that we should have for everyone. That shouldn't be a radical idea to have. If you're interested in something, you should study it. I don't see why we spend all this time trying to force kids to learn things that they're probably not going to use when they graduate or to tell them, you know, you need to do this, this, and that in order to be successful. But if it's not what they want for themselves, it's not the same. Forcing a kid to learn something is not the same as them truly learning. And so from that experience of education reform, this nonprofit called the dual school organization that was the first time that i got into education reform and really understanding the different words that they use to describe the advocacy in this field and i went to a brainstorming session and they were just like tell us your ideas you know and they really opened up the floor for students to ideate what we wanted for this organization and i thought to myself you know that's so powerful the fact that they're giving us a voice and a platform to contribute to their mission and tell them direct feedback about how we think it should go what are some things that works what are some things that didn't work and um that was just so powerful for me and so then i ended up working for a another nonprofit in new york called grip tape and I've been working for them for the past few years. And what I've learned from that kind of advocacy is that when you empower people directly, not just lobbying and, you know, writing laws and bills, what we do is we give students $500 grants to learn whatever they want. That's another radical, quote unquote, radical form of advocacy because we're telling kids and we're, we're getting the data points from it that you can be empowered and inspired by things that you are truly interested in. And when you have the resources to do so, you're unstoppable. And then the other form of advocacy that I participated in is definitely women's rights and advocating for menstrual health. My friend was one of the national organizers for the period organization for the first ever period day run by the founder, Nadia Okamoto. And I remember going to that rally. I helped my friend set up and everything. And I actually delivered a poem at that rally. And it was so much fun. The energy was electric. We had all these posters. You know, there was tons of red, obviously. And it was just a bunch of women and men all rallying together as, you know, some people were driving by honking and, you know, being ignorant and so as some people can be, but they were expressing their opinions in different ways. And it was just a fun and really eye-opening environment to be in actually rallying and being there. And it was an experience that definitely changed my life. For sure. Definitely. And, you know, period day. Awesome. Um, I'm not even sure if we even, I think we t- uh, celebrate in Canada as well. We, we talk about it and stuff and it's not as big, of course. I, f- I feel like we, more people need to become involved with stuff like this. I know the U.S. is kind of like 
everyone comes together and tries to advocate for this and that and it's fantastic when i see it because like for example pcos polycystic ovarian syndrome you know there's like a huge rally that happens at washington and everybody wears teal and everyone rallies up in their in their um uh, states i was gonna say provinces i'm like nope state states <laughs> uh, it's so amazing to see like the community come together and all these women you know uh, for their governors to increase funding when it comes to pcos because there's no cure there's nothing so when i i see that i'm just like oh my god it's so amazing and then i try to do my own research here locally in canada and i'm just like oh my god like i have to do more and i have to do more so i'm trying to get more involved and it's listening to you it's like you know what you just got to get out there you just got to do it help out a little bit each time and then it's just going to keep growing you got to create that ripple effect but what I liked what you said is that you're unstoppable and that's true like you're unstoppable and I love that drive that you have and how you carry it in through all your work so amazing and congratulations to you of course thank you so much now, of course, you're, you're a writer, award-winning poet, activist, public speaker, and then you became an author of this book <laughs> called Unleashing Your Innovative Genius High School Redesign. Tell me about it. So this book, honestly, there's so many ways to begin, but I feel like my, when I'm looking back at my life now, and I know I'm only 17, so I haven't lived that long, but <laughs> when I'm looking back at like the map of my life, it definitely, I feel like there are definitely a lot of intentional steps to get to writing a book, you know, at this age. And like I said, with the dual school experience and with grip tape, it started off with that foundation of being a part of different organizations who were being, you know, quote unquote, radical, letting students decide and being a part of something that felt empowering. That was definitely my beginning to say, you know, I want to contribute to something and be empowering to others and help others feel this, this same sense of agency and motivation that I'm feeling right now whenever I'm interacting in these spaces. And so the story started off with my own frustration in education, of course, and then I had to talk to my peers. And actually, this is something that I talk about in my keynote a lot, how I actually failed a biology quiz. And that was the turning point for me in terms of talking to my peers about this problem because I had a, a biology teacher in the 10th grade who would give a pop quiz every single day. He would never give his own lectures. He would always sample from other materials and that's fine and dandy unless, unless that's the only thing you're doing, of course. And so he would always sample from other materials online. If you would ask him a question, he didn't really know the answer. And I think that the issue with this, the way that he was educating was he was teaching it as if there was only one way to learn biology. And I'm actually a nursing major, so this is something that I'm going to need for the rest of my life. But when I was a 10th grader, I was just was thinking to myself, this is not how I learn. This is not how I interact with this subject. And there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way to understand this subject because it's definitely not disappearing from my learning map or however you would call it. And so that was when I started to have a really transformative conversation with not just my peers, but other activists from all over the country and different people that I was meeting about, you know, what does education mean to you? And that was the exact question that I asked myself. What does education mean to me? And how can I, as a sophomore, that was when I asked myself this question, how can I transform the way that I interact with the subject and also survive these last two years of high school? <laughs> that, is, that is the introduction of my book. You know, How am I going to survive high school if this is not the way I interact with it? This is not how I learn. I'm not learning in the traditional manner. And I don't have the same interest as you know the school is trying to tell me that I have and so how do I navigate a situation like that where it feels like I don't have control and so that was the turning point 
in terms of the idea you know what if i could create something based off of the experiences that i have and the control that i've gained from being a part of transformative organizations that have helped me feel like a real learner and leader in the for in the in terms of education reform and so the book writing process started in june of 2019 where i submitted a proposal to a publisher in dc and they got back to me they were like you know we're not really doing a program for your age group just yet, but um, if we ever are, we'll get to you. And so to me, I thought, maybe this isn't the time to write a book. Maybe I should focus my efforts on something else. And um, I actually started an organization called the Student Leadership Initiative Program. And from that, I was sampling, how would I put the kind of ideas that I'm giving to these kids, these mentees, into a book so that even if you're not a part of SLIP, as we call it, you'll still be empowered by your education experience. And so later, I think it was four months, yeah, four months later in October, the professor who is kind of the person who leads the program at the Creator Institute, he reached back out to me. He said, you know, I'm starting this program for high school authors and I really want you to be a part of it. You know, you can spread the news with your friends. You'll be a part of the Delaware author group and there's other regional ones that you'll be able to get inspiration from and whatnot. And I was absolutely thrilled. I was just like, you know, four months ago, I thought that this was the end. <laughs> I thought that I wasn't writing a book anymore. Maybe later I would get into that. And so when he reached back out to me, I was just like, of course, I definitely want to write a book, even though I don't have a solid idea about, you know, what exactly it's going to look like. I definitely want to go for this because that's the kind of person I am. I go for things. And I feel like that's the entrepreneurial spirit in me. I was talking about this with my friend, how, you know, I'm an ambivert. So there's the writer side of me. And then there's the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur is kind of irrational sometimes, kind of just goes for it. But <laughs> sometimes that feeling can definitely help you, you know, reach for things that you feel like you're scared of and just take that risk and go all in with something that you're really interested and passionate about. Whereas the writer side of me will just think really analytically about things and take those moments to ponder about whether or not this is the very best step. But, you know, I just had to go for it because it felt like the right thing to do. And so from that, I started writing in January of 2019. Oh, wait, switch that. It was June of 2018 that I submitted the proposal and then October of 2018 that I got the yes. And then January of 2019 when I started writing. <laughs> Sorry about that. But um, I started writing in January and then my first draft manuscript was due in June. And first I didn't have an idea. You know, it was, it was kind of floating around. It was feeling like a textbook and I had a conversation with the professor. I just said, you know, this doesn't feel like what I want to put out into the world. And so we took a pause in April. That was exactly when I had the conversation. And that was when I reworked the material that I had to turn into the book that I eventually published in February. And so we had a pre-sale campaign to get interest in the book. I learned so much about marketing, you know, from my developmental editors and my marketing editor. I ended up being really, really close with my marketing editor. She, I consider her to be like an aunt to me. Um, and she actually lives in Canada too. <laughs> but, um, no and then I met a copywriter. Yeah, I love Canadians, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a really, really transformative process. And there were definitely days where I wasn't motivated to write. Every author goes through that. But then I was just motivated by that pic picture that, you know, I was talking about that person who needs this, who wants to hear that they're unstoppable and has that assurance from someone else that, they may only see online or hear on a podcast, but they just feel that the way that I write in the book is definitely targeted in a way that when you're reading the book, you feel like I'm talking directly to you. That's what people have told me, even from different age groups. Like it's called Unleashing Your Innovative Genius, High School Redesigned, but you don't have to be a high schooler to read the book. There's definitely something in it for everyone. And um, the thing that I love about it is it's written from a high schooler to high schoolers 
unlike any other education book out there. And that was definitely the other thing that I was trying to come back. You know, the books in education right now are written by really old white men who aren't in the process of innovating and cultivating the education experience that we need for the 21st century. And the worst part is they're so far removed from it that they can't, they shouldn't really be given the platform that they have to speak on the behalf of my generation because they're not in it. They're not going through the experiences. They don't understand the different struggles. They don't know what we want as members of this education system. And that was some, one thing that really infuriated me. You know, the education system hasn't really made as much changes from 200 years ago. We've definitely had, you know, technology come in and that's fine and dandy, but in terms of the curriculum, it hasn't really shifted to a learner and student-centered approach where students get to choose what they learn. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Definitely. And once again, for those listening, the book is called Unleashing Your Innovative Genius High School Redesign. The information is going to be in the show notes for you, of course. Definitely pick up the book. Oh my gosh, I'm going to buy one. That's for sure. Thank you so much. (laughs) But this is awesome. And I love, like I said, you're so passionate with the things that you love and you really show it. And guys, you got to pick up the book. Honestly, it's going to be in the show notes, the links and everything to get it. Now, Deborah, with everything that's happening, like I know we kind of gone through a little pause over here, but how did you keep yourself like balanced because you have so much going on you've got school well you know you had school unless you're doing online schooling right now with what's happening but like a writer your your poetry your your advocacy and public speaking and how do you keep yourself balanced so I definitely have a system of checks and balances in my own life and then also I try to be use a planner and whatnot and write out to-do lists. But I think the checks and balances in terms of my network and my community is something that has definitely kept me grounded. And so this is also something that I talk about my book in the book. And I actually have a twin sister. And this is in the chapter that I talk about the effects of having somebody in your life who you're, you know, you're constantly compared to and having somebody to grow with and to understand and to just feel more inspired by. And so the circle of community that we talk about is there's literally a person on every single finger. The first finger is um, your guidance counselor. There's one for your government official, your best competitor, a mentor, and then your notebook. And these are all things that I use in my everyday life to kind of get through in terms of the government official that is Senator Tizzy Lockman. And I also interview her from in the book because I needed to have somebody from the policy side of education reform in this process. And so she's definitely someone who has motivated me. She was also at the period rally, which was really spectacular. And they're working her and another um, co-sponsor, another legislator, are they're working towards getting period products in girls' bathrooms because apparently that's not a thing yet, <laughs> which shocks me because if you think about the progress that we've gotten to and the point where we are not having these products that are literally essential to being a woman, not being in a bathroom is crazy to me. But beyond that, um, she's also working in terms of education reform in Delaware. And so I have that assurance that there's somebody in legislation right now, even though I'm young, I can't run for a representative. I can't, I, I can vote in the next coming months, but I can't, I'm not in a position where I can write the bills that I want, but I can get, I can write a bill and ask her to co-sponsor it or support something that she's leaning for and then vote for her so that I'm voting for the change that I want in terms of state legislature and then encourage my peers in other states to do that as well. And then um, 
the other person that I mentioned, a, a mentor that is an incredible resource that I think every single person should have because you should have someone that, you, you know, you have your friends who you talk about the fun things, you talk about all the um, different adventures you want to go on, but you need to talk to someone about the different professional endeavors that you want to go on and the different missions and, and inspirations that you have and different pedograms that you want to shift so that you feel motivated and inspired to do the change that you've been set on this earth to do. I could not thank my mentor enough. His name is Rich Keller. I absolutely love that man. He's an amazing person. And I actually met him last year on LinkedIn. <laughs> so this isn't a person that, you know, I knew personally. I just use that power of connection of networking. I love LinkedIn too, but you can, you can find a mentor anywhere. It just has to be a matter of compatibility. And that's also something that I talk about in the book, how to vent, how to find a mentor and why you should get one. And I would, I could not stress that enough. Like if you get anything from this episode, you need to get a mentor if you don't have one. And I absolutely love my mentor. He has kept me, I mean, he has motivated me in so many time periods. He helped me write my um, first keynote speech when I was freaking out. Like, you know, what am I going to say to these kids? You know, they're my age. And he just, he's an amazing person. Anyway, the other um, definitely things that you should have in terms of keeping grounded and staying motivated when you're doing different um, passions and goals is a notebook. I constantly write, I have this, I call it my current notebook. I write down my thoughts, you know, I write down different things I have to do, different quotes that I like. It's just where all my thoughts go to play. That's literally what I call it. <laughs> I write down every little thought that I like and it's there. I can always look back and see what I was thinking months ago, you know, different ideas that I wrote down and ideate on them further if I if I need to and then like I said the best competitor that's my twin sister and that is just somebody who is kind of working towards the same goals as you who motivates you who you know shows you different other opportunities that you can um, engage in and use to empower yourself I love my twin sister so much and um, definitely having her in my life has motivated me in ways that I couldn't even describe further than have someone who is your age to motivate you so someone who you're not comparing yourself to, but someone who you're constantly motivated by, constantly inspired and empowered by, because that will help you in your own journey and your own trajectory. Wow. So inspiring. Oh my gosh. But thank you for sharing those tips because I was so curious. I'm like, how do you keep up? This is awesome. <laughs> I get asked the same question when I get interviewed. It's like, how do you do it all? And I'm just like, it's a good question to ask because then you learn from other people and you know, you kind of see how, what works for them. So yeah, definitely. I really appreciate you sharing that. Now, what do you like to do for fun? Cause you know, besides of everything else that you're doing, you got to mm -hmm. tell me that you're having fun. You're going out with friends. I know times have changed a little bit for now, but what do you like to do for fun? So pre-quarantine life <laughs> I yeah, you got to talk about pre and post now. but um pre-quarantine I run track that is definitely a sport I've started running track when I was in the fifth grade and that is a sport where I've gotten most of my friends and different activities to keep me engaged and motivated and active I love track and field it has been such a strong and potent force in my life these past seven years um we've gone through my track friends and I, we've gone through, you know, championships, we've gone through, um, you know, heartbreaking moments when you're seconds away from breaking that record, you know, and then your season gets taken away. So you can't, <laughs> it's just, we've been yeah. through so much as a team together. And even my relay team, we actually broke a 12 year school record last wow. season, which is why we were so excited for this one. But I know that there's another team that's going to come through and, you know, break our record and then break the record that we were trying to go for. But um, 
my track family has definitely been a great source of fun because running is a, it's such a liberating activity for me. And then, um, like I said, I have a twin sister, so we constantly are going to the library. We go shopping together. We go thrift shopping because we're environmentally conscious. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, we go shopping together. We um, we um, bake together. I really like crocheting. That's something that I've gotten back into. My fourth grade teacher actually taught me how to crochet, and I started um, a week ago. I didn't think I was going to remember, but my hands just naturally knew what to do. So I started crocheting again. So that's something fun that I've gotten into. And then I really, really love music analysis. And I was actually talking with my mentor the other day about whether or not I should start a music analysis podcast now or start with my, my new college friends that I'm going to meet. And um, I love dissecting music. It's so much fun for me, especially since I'm a musician myself. Um, I used to play the clarinet, violin, and piano. I play the piano a little bit now. And then I'm also a singer, but I love, I love music. I love discovering it. That is a very fun activity to me when I find new music. And actually the song that I've been streaming the most this week is um, Surfaces by, no, it's Sunday Best by Surfaces. I absolutely love that song. It's such an empowering and uplifting song whenever you're you know, feeling sad about quarantine, but I would definitely give that a listen. Wow. So track, I, lo- I used to love doing track back in the day. Uh, cross country, um, short distance, long distance. I used to do relay. I was like the the last person to reach the finish line, the <laughs> hundred meters. Um, wow, it's like you're bringing me back. What, but who I was? Well, but minus the the writing part and the you know the public speaking part of things. But I was very sports oriented. I loved it. I was that person that had to be in every single sport and had you know practices before school and after school. It's like that's how my life was with sports and I really loved it and enjoy it. So I'm glad you found, you have and found hobbies that you like to do. And especially now with quarantine life, so to say, cause you don't <laughs> know how long this is going to last. Um, mm-hmm. You found some passions and stuff, but I know you mentioned you wanted to start a podcast. Yeah. So I wanted to do something more for fun because I was talking to one of my friends from Texas the other day about how my generation, we're constantly wanting to start businesses and that's cool. That's definitely great. You know, personal finance and learning how to be your own boss, but I feel like we've lost what it means to have a hobby. And so I'm constantly trying to find different ways to diversify the way that I interact with the world, whether it's, you know, something for profit or something that I'm making money from, like, you know, writing a book, but really my, having the goal of empowering people first, but that's still definitely something that I have as a side income, but having something that isn't something that I make money from, but I still get enjoyment, true enjoyment out of that's just for fun, you know, just for me that I just do to feel, you know, to wind, wind down or just relax. And um, for me, that has definitely been painting and like photography and I think that hobbies are so, so important in terms of understanding how you interact with the world and just taking a pause. I definitely agree. I honestly agree with that. And you're right. We have to find something where we can just kind of get away from everything. And that was like kind of the big struggle for myself. And I was just like, I'm working a full-time job. I'm pulling in early hours in the morning. So I start at either 6.30 or 7. I'm done at 4. Then I'm podcasting through 5 till whenever. Um, and then now I've kind of created myself a schedule because, you know, at the beginning, I treat the podcast like a business. I want to mm-hmm. make sure I take it to the direction that I wanted to take it. And you do have to put in the time time and the effort. Uh, But the biggest thing is you need to find something as a hobby. And I started it as a hobby. 
and it really <laughs> helped me with my mental health because now it's like I'm interacting with people. Yes, it's I'm inter- interacting with people all over the world, but it was so nice to talk to somebody and have them share their passions, their craft and their work and you know really relate to them in a different way because everyone's been so relatable of how hard working everyone's been and especially like yourself it's like you know I see some of me in you because when I was young it was just like besides the English and math being a struggle and trying to overcome challenges and wanting to give up a million times you start to find different things that you fall in love with and you focus on that because you know hey I've been told this is the only thing I can do but really that's not how it should be and now I'm taking those experiences and going out there in the community especially you know dyslexia community and really share my story because it sucks to get that you're not going to be able to do anything in life and you're not going to be successful but then you took it in a different route and look at look at myself now so I definitely agree and hobbies are so important now I'm a reality tv junkie and everybody knows this but do you watch any reality tv what's on your Netflix what's on Hulu what's what's on your tv right now yeah so I definitely do watch tv actually my my sister came back home from college and so we got some time to sit down and watch love is blind and see what the craze was about that (laughs) I was laughing so much throughout these episodes it was crazy how it was just I haven't watched reality tv in a really long time I usually watch shows like the good doctor and blackish and mixedish but I was watching this reality tv show and just having fun talking about it and dissecting how these people were interacting with these strangers that they'd never seen and then how that translated into their their married almost married lives and then the ones that didn't make it to the altar or did and it didn't end up going the way that people expected it to it was just a crazy show and i it was it was fun to watch how about some 90 day fiance i'm pretty sure you've heard of this craze as well but i figure i ask because you never know I definitely have heard of the show. My brother actually watches 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> no way! <laughs> yeah, he does. Who's his favorite character? Do you hear him like in the other room where he's just like, oh my gosh! So he doesn't live with us. He's, he's actually about to graduate from college, but whenever okay. he comes back home, he always talks about it. I don't know who his favorite character is. He talks about so many people, it's hard to keep track. Uh, I don't know who his favorite character is but he'll always try to make jokes about it and then he realizes that no one else in the house watches it but him then I feel kind of bad but I think it's a very interesting show yeah it's interesting and um it's evolved a lot I started watching it when it first came out and I just been addicted to it and the other one that I watch is Teen Mom OG and I remember watching that when I was in high school and I was just like oh my god like this is this is a thing this is a show now and (laughs) seeing the first original moms and the numerous of seasons that i've watched i'm just like i can't believe we're almost the same age (laughs) you know their their cars get you know fancier and their houses get bigger and i'm just like did i do something wrong here And I remember being in high school, everyone's just like, you know, your close friends who watched it, they would say, you know, I think it's, I should have been a teen mom. Cause look at this gig. Like, yeah, <laughs> you got to put your life out there, but they're really, some of them didn't even finish school. Like they, they were so lucky to get a contract with MTV. The show became success and, you know, 16 and pregnant, like, 
you know, they've done different seasons and certain casts only move on to next one. And of course it became Teen Mom and then now it's Teen Mom OG. And it's crazy seeing their children grow up because you're just like, it felt like I was part of the family somehow because I'm telling you, we're almost the same age and it's crazy. (laughs) That does sound pretty crazy. I was like, damn, I've been watching this show this long. Dedication, I guess, when you're so into these people's lives and how, you know, we're wondering what has happened and what has changed and a lot of changes happen, et cetera. And it's just like, oh my gosh. But, you know, with reality TV, it's, it could be crazy. It's unexpected. Um, it's all of the above. And sometimes they'll say, hey, my life is not that bad after all. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And then during the quarantine, watching people live lives before this happened makes you reflect on the fact that, you know, your life was a little bit different from how it is, probably a lot different from how it is, but you get a sense of normalcy and that normalcy might not have been perfect, but you get a sense of normalcy from watching these reality TV shows, even though sometimes the characters do really crazy things that I wouldn't even do in real life. (laughs) But yeah. (laughs) it's so true it's so true and the one thing is with this quarantine that we're in what is one thing you've learned about yourself and what did you learn about everything in general because I can imagine like for myself it's like well nothing has really changed for me if anything I've gotten busy or people who I who wanted to be on the show and haven't gone back to me and you know they're like, oh, I have so much free time. Like, when can we do this? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't. Uh, but, you know, I've learned a lot about myself where I, I haven't really stopped. And, you know, my, my mindset hasn't changed and I've adapted to the situation because I am still working. Um, one thing I'm grateful for it because what is what everybody's going through right now and wondering when rent's going to, how we're going to pay rent, how we're going to pay for groceries. And, you know, if, if you got kids, like how, how are you going to upkeep? Right. And learning about everything in general, it's just like, I know it's scary. This is scary times, but if you've got these little things that you wanted to accomplish beforehand, this is the time to do it. Reading books, uh, discovering a new hobby, you know, try to keep yourself busy and get into a routine. So what did you learn about yourself during this quarantine? I learned that I have been living a really fast-paced life and this quarantine definitely taught me that you need to slow down and you know really reflect on things that are happening because otherwise you won't get the whole 360 degree picture of how incredible it is to live this life and I've definitely been a lot more reflective during this time period more grateful like you said and then I'm thinking back to um all the different things that I haven't been doing in my life, you know, before quarantine, not expressing, you know, as much love or gratitude for my friends or not giving hugs when they're needed. And so mm-hmm. this quarantine has definitely taught me that as interesting and fun um, a personal life can be. And in terms of, you know, building your personal and professional um, platform, it's definitely interesting. It's definitely interesting and important to establish connections with others and then keep those connections constant rather than having them, you know, kind of scattered and all over the place, but being intentional with how you interact with people and being grateful, you know, spending this time to thank others in your lives, you know, after this quarantine is over, not, not to just go back to that fast paced attitude and that hustle bustle that America loves and is obsessed with, but um, taking the time to reflect on moments, to be grateful, to be so much more present and to just truly be more tuned in when you're living this incredible life. For sure. And you said it. You're absolutely right. And uh, oh my gosh. Um, 
it's true you you think about the little things that you never used to do like i what you just said about giving hugs when they were needed um it's gonna be a a new life and how is everyone going to carry on after that and you know were you able to adapt to the situation even though you live that fast paced because that's what my life is right now my life is fast paced i'm always busy there's always something to do either with the podcast or in the process of coming up with new ideas taking care of my podcast community with my co-host and my other friend of mine and it's just like you know how do we get these people just to stay creative and not talk about the rona the covid-19 the 19 mm-hmm. the c19 and all of the <laughs> crazy names it has come up with but i i you know i commend you for really recognizing that like this fast-paced life and you're always busy and when the one time you're forced to, sh- to slow down I could imagine you've gone crazy a little bit at the beginning and then you kind of like settled in easily because it sounds like you settled in nicely for the time being yeah I've definitely learned to pivot and that has just been my word whenever I'm feeling kind of frustrated about you know the opportunities that could have been I just remember like pivoting like how important that is especially during this time you know by staying home you're helping to save lives you're saving other people in your life you're even saving yourself and so I think learning to pivot especially when you used to live a a fast-paced life that has something that has kept me grounded because I just remember that (laughs) what's more important than life I, I can't think of anything more important than living and breathing and being able to express gratitude and be grateful for other people because if you're not here you can't do that and so I've definitely learned to pivot Um, especially with the book tour, you know, that was supposed to be something that was physical in different um, cities and whatnot. But I've learned to pivot, I've learned to move my message and to diversify the way that I interact with people with the message that I want to give. And that's something that I love about what people are doing across the board, like people who said that they couldn't go and do something online before, they're doing it online. Schools that Mm -hmm. said, you know, schooling is only eight hours or seven hours a day, and people have to come in every single day. We're learning that school, while online learning may not work for everyone, this is definitely something that we can continue to build and cultivate after the quarantine is over because there are definitely some kids who are loving this right now. Of mm-hmm. course, you know, some social interacting would be good, you know, not spending all of your time inside, but some people are learning to love learning online and others are just adapting, but pivoting and adapting have been the two things that have keep me grounded. And that's kind of how I've been navigating this quarantine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And thank you for sharing that as well. And, Oh my gosh, Deborah! I'm looking forward to see what happens in the future for you. Many blessings and hopefully everything that you have on paper comes to real life with your goals and your ambitions. And I'm so happy to have gotten to speak with you because, you know, you have so much life ahead of you and and I'm so (laughs) excited for you. And it's just like, it's never too late. You got to keep going. And I've met a young author. I think she was about 11, but she published her first book at 10 years old. And now she's on to four books. And when I, you know, I keep in touch with her um, every so often, especially with her dad, because her dad's an author too. It's like, oh my gosh, she's on her fourth. Yeah. Like we got to get her, I got to get her on this show. And it's just, it's amazing how herself as an author has evolved and how she's inspiring other people. And then there's yourself, you know, you're inspiring your peers, you're inspiring the community, you're making a difference at such a young age. And oh my gosh, the world and the universe is going to bless you with everything that you have that you want to accomplish. So I cannot wait to see where you go. Thank you so much. And I'm also going to give a really quick shout out to you because I went on your website and I saw that you've been nominated for the 
um, Latin podcast award. I really hope that you get it. I voted. So um, <laughs> I, I'm so excited to see how this podcast continues to touch people's lives and to give them really good content to listen to, especially during the quarantine. Well, thank you so much. And I really appreciate your vote. Oh my gosh. I know it's all exciting, but it's not about me. It's about you, girl. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate it. But tell my listeners where they can find you. And by the way, guys, I'm going to plug in the book again. It's called Unleashing Your Innovative Genius High School Redesign. But Deborah, tell the listeners where they can find you. Yeah, so they can find me at my website, www.debohaholatunji.com. That's just debraolatunji.com. And then also on Instagram at deb underscore alatunji and Twitter at deb underscore alatunji. And then feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook. You know, I'm a pretty social person. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much. And for all my listeners, everything is going to be in the show notes for you. But Deborah, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I loved speaking with you, Angelica, and I'm definitely going to stay in touch. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to see (laughs) what the universe is going to do for you. But to all my listeners out there, like I said, everything's going to be in the show notes. Make sure you grab that book. It's called Unleashing Your Innovative Genius, High School Redesign. And thank you for tuning in on another episode of A Little Bit of Everything with me. And that's all we have for now. Hi, this is Michelle Miller from Mentors on the Mic podcast. I'm Anthony. And I'm Jessica with the Beautiful Feet Podcast. Hey, it's your boy Bromar, host of The Bromar Show. Hello, everyone. It's the Coupon Queen Pin from the CQP Moments Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is your boy Ken, aka the Gentleman of the Gentleman Lifestyle Podcast. Hi, this is Stephanie Valente, your local massage therapist. And you are listening to a little bit of everything with Angelica. That's it for now. And thank you for tuning in on another episode of A Little Bit of Everything with me. hope you enjoyed this episode. Just don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on the podcast platform that you're listening to.